Want to know what it takes to make a million bucks? Check out My First Million. Every week we dive into different business opportunities and explain how to pounce on them. From one-man online operations to brick-and-mortar strategies, we cover it all. So whether it's your first million followers or dollars, start getting inspired with My First Million wherever you get your podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The New Statesman. Hi, it's Adrian here. We're giving you a bonus podcast today. Andrew Marr and David Gork discuss the state of the main parties after the local elections. Hello, I'm Andrew Marr, the political editor, and I'm joined this week, I'm delighted to say, by David Gork, distinguished former minister and the New Statesman's commentator as well, particularly on the conservative side of the fence. David, we've both been looking at these local election results, of course, absolutely fascinating. I guess from my side of the fence, looking at the Labour Party in particular, I see very few circumstances in which Keir Starmer doesn't become prime minister. It might be through majority Labour government, and his team insist that because of the targeting of seats uh, that have been successful in England, and because we don't know about London yet, and Scotland and Wales, that he still has a clear route to a majority government. But an awful lot of the number crunchers say no, they're still too far behind the national share of the vote, and it's therefore going to be some kind of coalition, probably with the Liberal Democrats, not with the SNP. Now, either way, Keir Starmer becomes Prime Minister. Do you think we're missing anything? No, I think that's fair enough. Whether Labour gets a majority or not, it's not clear from these results. You could say, well, their vote was incredibly efficiently distributed and that will help them. But a nine-point lead for an opposition party in local elections the year before a general election isn't that spectacular. No. But the Conservative vote was really poor. The result was really poor. They were losing across the country. They were losing to Labour, losing to Liberal Democrats, losing to Greens. And the thing with the Conservative Party is if it doesn't have a majority, there's no one it can go into coalition with. Maybe the DUP will provide some support, but even there, the relationship is a bit fractious. The fact is, most of the parliamentary parties will line up behind Keir Starmer. So Keir Starmer doesn't need a majority to be prime minister. I think he probably will get a majority, not a very big one. I don't see a Labour landslide, but he doesn't even need to get that majority. As long as he deprives the Conservatives of it, he'll be Prime Minister. Yes, it did seem to me, if you look at the, the number of councillors the different parties won or lost, that actually the winning party was the not the Conservatives party, in that the Liberal Democrats did really well, the Greens did really well. Now, you might say that's it's their local elections, that's what happens to the Lib Dems. They do well in local elections and they fall on their face uh, in national elections. But again, looking at where they did well, it does seem to me that the Conservatives, if you like, liberal conservatism has a real problem in the home counties, in the English shires, and in the West Country in particular. 
Yes, I think that's right. I think that's, to some extent, the sort of second element of the realignment of British politics. We saw it in 2019 mm-hmm. with you know, a certain type of working class Labour seat going Conservative. By and large, the Conservative seats held Conservative because of Jeremy Corbyn. But take the Corbyn factor away, and what you start to see is voters who are uncomfortable with the more socially authoritarian language probably voted Remain, younger, more likely to be graduates. Mm-hmm. Those voters are drifting away from the Conservatives. And I look at my home county of Hertfordshire. I've represented for many years parts of it. And the results were pretty grim. And you can see a whole host of once safe Conservative seats where the other parties now getting genuinely competitive. We're seeing, as you say, graduates, probably in their 30s and 40s, starting families, moving out not just of London, but the other great cities into the surrounding areas and bringing with them either a Labour or Lib Dem voting tradition. So that is hitting a lot of those Conservative seats. I think this is a real problem for Rishi Sunak because the question of who is Rishi Sunak really seems to me to remain unanswered or put it another way, quite how right wing is Rishi Sunak in his real instincts. This week we're talking on a day on Wednesday when the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, has been delivering an absolute philippic on the migration bill against the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman. So that's the Archbishop of Canterbury, only a few days after putting the crown on the new king's head, takes on the Home Secretary. That is a kind of fissure in the British establishment that seems to be quite significant. You know, the Conservative Party, is, or the Church of England, sorry, is no longer the Conservative Party of prayer, if it ever was. And so Sunak has to balance, as it were, liberal Sunak versus sort of red wall, angry Sunak. And I'm not quite sure how he's going to do that. There's a criticism that he falls between two stools. I mean, I I would say that he is a much more attractive proposition to the home counties than Mm. Boris Johnson or Liz Truss. And had they been leading the Conservative Party, the results would have been even worse. But there's a sort of slight difficulty Mm. is that he doesn't quite appeal Mm. specifically enough to Mm. one side or the other. And this is the great difficulty for the Conservative Party. Its coalition was so broad in 2019 that anyone who appeals completely mm. to one side yeah. is likely to hack off the other side mm. and, yeah. and vice versa. So I think probably Rishi Sunak is the best answer the Conservative Party mm. has. I think he's a pretty competent Prime Minister. But because he has to keep both sides happy, he's not liberal enough for the home councils and he's probably not authoritarian enough for the, parts of the, the other parts of the rebel. Yeah, so. I'd be really interested in your views on something that I got from Keir Starmer's team, but I think he's echoed actually in number 10 as well about the nature of the electorate at the moment. So the person I was talking to said, look, we have a real tough job ahead of the Labour Party. We have to win double-digit leads in virtually every single region of England. We can't limit our campaign to one area of the country. And then there's Wales, and then there's Scotland and London. And I hear something quite similar from number 10, saying this is going to be a very different campaign because everybody has to campaign everywhere, which probably means a slightly blander set of national messages because they're looking in all sorts of different directions at the same time. But the other thing, again, I've heard from both sides, is that the electorate is now much, much more volatile than it was perhaps when you first came into Parliament. Back in the day, about 70% of voters described themselves as habitual. They would stick with the Tories more or less, come all male Labour, more or less. And that's now down to about 30 to 35%. So it's going to be an election which has to look in every direction at the same time and is looking for a much more volatile, unpredictable set of voters. I think that's right. I think those two points are linked. I think just that sort of sense of volatility, perhaps people's political views have become 
perhaps a little bit more complex. It's not just mm. about economic security, it's also about cultural issues. It's much more two-dimensional. And it's quite hard for the big political parties to sort of stake out something mm. which appeals to a broad enough coalition. And so they end up being a bit bland and they end up you know, fighting in the red wall and the blue wall and trying to have messages that are yes. coherent between the two. But it's very, very difficult and they end up not really pleasing anyone. We'll have more of this conversation in just a moment. If you are subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on the New Statesman app. It's available for both iPhone and Android. Just search New Statesman on the app or Google Play Store. We'll be right back. If you enjoy the New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Wearmouth, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And because they are focusing on the same group of voters who've got the predictable same concerns, they end up with policies which can sound quite similar. So if you look at the NHS, for instance, I was talking to Labour about they're very keen to get more done by GPs and primary care, take the pressure off hospitals. Surprise, surprise, Rishi Sunak pops up and says, as a child of pharmacists, much the same thing. When it comes to the importance of investment in green technology, both parties are going to bang on and on about that. And it may therefore be an election in which voters find it quite hard to choose. And we may see quite a, a lot of abstention, I wonder, as a result of that. I know the Labour Party has been struggling with this business of the vision thing. They have what I would call their Bob the Builder strategy, which is, can we build this? Yes, we can. Uh, Looking at specific problems that people are worried about. How do you get quicker appointments with GPs? What can be done about incredibly high food inflation prices at the moment? What can be done about bills generally? What can be done about dirty rivers and beaches? What can be done about judicial systems? In other words, a series of very specific quite near at hand, not terribly glamorous problems they think they can persuade people they could sort out over five or 10 years. But beyond that, the big vision of the sunlit uplands, exactly what they feel and sound like, it's very hard to say, I think, either if you're looking at Keir Starmer or if you're looking at Rishi Sunak. Partly it's about temperament and personality. They're both essentially problem solvers, which I think is no bad thing. But I think both struggle to communicate a big message. I think partly that is to do with the broad coalitions that they're trying to appeal to. So if you have too clear a message, you run the risk of antagonising part of that coalition. I think there is also an element where there's not a lot of trust from the electorate towards politicians. So big, broad, maybe slightly windy rhetoric is going to land badly. Rather, the voters are saying, what specifically can you do to help me? What is the problem you can solve? It's so interesting you said that because that is more or less exactly what the people around Keir Starmer are saying about him. We haven't got 
the permission yet from the voters to sound grand and sound broad brush and sound visionary. They want to be absolutely sure that we can solve the first set of problems before we talk more widely. But I also wonder, um, thinking about the two of them, as you were suggesting there, whether the fact that neither of them are, as it were, instinctive from an early age, natural politicians. Rishi, because he came up through Goldman Sachs and the world of international finance, and he still thinks in spreadsheets and problem-solving graphs and all the rest of it. And of course, Keir Starmer, because he was director of public prosecutions, he was fundamentally a lawyer, came into politics quite late. They're both, in a sense, outsiders to that world of grand Oxford Union rhetorical kind of flourishes. Yeah, I think that's true. It's, it's temperamentally where they are. They are mm. the sort of, what's the problem in front of me? Let me see if I can solve it. And there's absolutely a place mm. in politics. I think there would have been a few moments where a bit more of that would have been beneficial mm. to the country in recent years. I think there's one thing that Labour has done on policy, which is interesting in recent weeks, which is on housing. Yeah. where they have put a difference between themselves and the Conservative Party. And I know there are some Conservatives that say, oh, that's great. You know, they're saying they're going to bring back compulsory housing targets and yeah, we'll have a real go at them on, on that and appeal to the NIMBY votes. But I think Keir Starmer deserves a bit of credit for doubling down on that. It's easier for Labour to do this politically than it is for the Conservatives or the Liberal Democrats. But that is an area where he said, well, actually, you know, we are going to make a difference. I agree with you about that. And it seems to me that given the really, really rough time younger voters, people in their 20s and maybe even early 30s have had when it comes to the housing market and the cost of renting, and frankly, the availability of really interesting, good and well-paid jobs, then the party which makes the most attractive offer to those big numbers of younger voters is probably going to be the party that wins the election. And housing is going to be a very important part of that. Yeah, it's, it's a really tough one for the Conservatives because you just look at the literature that goes out in the home counties, mm. it's all about stopping house building. And the local parties know what they're doing. They know that's where the votes lie. So it's difficult to say, you know, we're going to put more houses up. And also in the home counties, you build more houses, the people who will move into them will have moved out of London. And they're probably, your point earlier, they're probably not going to be voting Conservative. But in the longer term, the Conservatives are, even for kind of middle class kids who, with support from the bank of mum and dad, are still really going to struggle to get on the housing ladder. And if you don't have home ownership high, it's really hard for the Conservative Party to win. So it's a long term bind for the Conservatives. They're damned if they do, damned if they don't. And I think Labour are right to exploit it, make it an issue. And I think that is a way of cutting through. It's been a really interesting conversation, coming to the end of it, as it were. Do you agree with me that it's very hard to see how the Conservatives can win the next election? Yes, it's very hard. It's not entirely impossible. They're going to have to be extremely lucky. If the economy improves substantially, I remember we've just had a set of local elections where living standards are still falling and falling pretty fast. Inflation is still above 10%. Mm. Get to October next year, if inflation is well below 2%, wages have actually Mm. gone up, things might move in their direction. The fundamentals, it's been a pretty rocky period. Tories have been in power now for a long time. They haven't really got an exciting message and it's hard to hold their coalition together. All of that points to a mood of time for a change. That must be the most likely outcome at the next general election. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Our cover this week has Keir Starmer on the tightrope. You know, will he make it? And of course, it is always possible that some great hurricane appears from nowhere and he falls off. But it does seem to me that the overwhelming likelihood is that the next prime minister will be Keir Starmer. And that in a sense, 
we haven't taken him seriously enough in the political world. He's always been Captain Hindsight, always been this grey apparatchik, civil service type figure who doesn't really know what he stands for, or this, or that. But actually, he turns out to be a pretty resilient, pretty determined, dogged, mildly authoritarian figure who knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, I think he is en route to being prime minister. Mm. And that's, you know, that's, that's not very often that we see a change of government. You know, I can only remember three times in my memory. Very likely to happen again. But with that comes greater scrutiny. And, you know, say that, that that's, you know, potentially a risk. Okay. How does it, how does he withstand that? Does yeah. he thrive on it or not? David, the world is breaking up outside there. We can hear the rumble and crumble of the entire political edifice crashing around us. Thank you very much for talking. Sound effects and all. Yeah. Brought to you by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. Can Do is more than just an attitude. Can Do is navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with Andrew Marr and David Gork. The producer has been Adrian Bradley. Thanks for listening. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Want to know what it takes to make a million bucks? Check out My First Million. Every week we dive into different business opportunities and explain how to pounce on them. From one-man online operations to brick-and-mortar strategies, we cover it all. So whether it's your first million followers or dollars, start getting inspired with My First Million wherever you get your podcasts.